0: Hi, my name's Elle and I am running of intro ideas. <laughs> wow, so soon. My name's Maddie and my apartment could best be described as cat clutter.
1: Mine's just clutter.
0: <laughs> and
1: behold, manga.
0: So today we are talking about our dreams at dusk by our favorite, everyone's favorite, Yuki Kamatani. Yeah. If Yuki Kamatani isn't your favorite, it's because you probably haven't read anything by them. Um, so Yuki Kamatani is a manga author who identifies as Arrow, Ace, and X-Gender, right? Yes. And this is a very focused on the queer experience in Japan kind of series. And it's really, really good, of course, because it's Yuki Kamatani. Uh, this was serialized from 2015 to 2017. Not sure what other background you need is just really good. Uh, in my research, I found a person who said that a trans person writing trans manga is apparently very rare. So good for them. Uh, we don't need to praise them anymore.
1: They've had (laughs) enough. (laughs) Do you have anything to add? So my understanding of our dreams at dusk is that the magazine it was running in got canceled. The last couple of chapters got shifted to a different magazine. And then it was wrapped up. So it kind of finished prematurely. It was a mix of... It wasn't cancelled, but it was kind of It doesn't feel
0: like it, though. Like, it feels like a really good, complete story.
1: I think it was one where it wasn't necessarily cancelled, but because of the change, it was just decided to get completed. So, like, it could have probably gone on... And like I'm not hundred percent sure if it was the Comitani just decided to end it or okay. if um because of like the change of publication it ended. Well and either it way it just feels more.
0: I, it feels like mm-hmm. exactly the right amount of story, yeah. I think. It's, it's just very, very, very good. Well. So let's get into it. Content and trigger warnings. I had homophobia and transphobia, like majorly big Yes. Big homophobia and transphobia Um, slurs Slurs are used slurs are used suicidal ideation and depression especially in the beginning there Mm
1: -hmm. are discussed um what else maybe just queer phobia in general
0: it's just um packed to the gills with microaggressions (laughs) yeah i get a lot of
1: microaggressions in this yeah Uh, but
0: it's discussed it's not like the author's like, I feel like whenever we talk about manga, if we've said homophobia <laughs> in the past, it's been like, oh, there's the one character who's queer-coded and a villain, and it's really... But no, this is actually about those things and discusses them and does it really, mm-hmm. really well, is the difference yeah. there.
1: I guess bullying, to a degree? Yes. Absolutely.
0: Death? Yes. Death of a loved one? Specifically, disease, kind of, um... Cancer. Hospitalization. Hospitalization. Cancer. Um palliative care kind of near the end there outing oh man just about everything you could think of that's hard to think about as a queer person Mm -hmm. but it's all discussed very well and wrapped up very well and it's like hard to read but at the end it makes you feel really warm inside was my
1: these topics are purposely introduced to talk about kind of like the social issues of queer people in japan so It's disgust. It's a thing that happens to these characters.
0: Yeah. Do you want to give me your spoiler-free
1: summary? Okay, I'll try.
0: Okay. Three, two, one, go.
1: Our Dreams at Dusk is about this high schooler who's gay and is almost outed at school uh, contemplating suicide. He ends up meeting this person who introduces them to other people who are queer within the small town. And he discovers, I don't know, like, figures out himself in, like, a support group.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Do you
1: want to do just, like, an overarching kind of spoiler review? Three, Um, two, one, go. So each volume kind of focuses on one of the characters that's part of this group, which is a volunteer organization known as Cat Clutter, that renovates abandoned houses in this town. Um, It kind of goes into their stories and how they identify and kind of just their struggles in life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That was 25 seconds. I didn't give okay. you a time, so I just, I'm just i just letting you know that was 25 seconds. <laughs> Let's talk about if we've read this before. I read three volumes of this before telling you that I wanted to read it for the podcast, but it was like just before I told you I wanted <laughs> to read it for the podcast, and of course we all love Yuki Kamatani. We stand,
1: <laughs> they're goaded, whatever the kids say. Uh so I read this jeez, when did I read this? I read this. This was one of those series that when it got licensed, I would like pre ordered every single volume. Mm. So Our Dreams at Dusk is like the first license since Noberi that's come in English. And you can actually buy this
0: one. <laughs> You I did it.
1: You can do it too. Yeah, I was like so excited because Naberino, as we've done, as you know before from our previous. Yeah, episode, I think this is our like, first
0: time covering an. We author did a repeat author. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah good so they're us. like one of my top five favorite mangaka's, and so good. for the longest time, we only ever had Naberino out in English, which is like out of stock, out of print. So mm-hmm. this was like the first in like years of just never having anything else by them in English, and now we have. Almost their entire catalog minus I think their new one coming out probably like some one shots in this other series that's like five volumes about Buddhism. Yeah, cool. But you read our I read it. I read it so many times, honestly. Yeah, one of your favorites. Mm Mhm.
0: It's a good one. It is. And we want to talk about it, so let's. We're gonna go through kind of the characters because that's really the heart of the story. But then as we go, we'll talk about themes and stuff. Mm -hmm. um let's talk about our main man tasuku in the we're gonna kind of talk about him in the beginning of the story and then he's interwoven in other people's stories too and then Mm -hmm. wrapped up at the end um in the beginning he's just a really horrifically depressed kid um who was almost out at school and contemplating suicide like you said Mm-hmm. And he's kind of having to say bad stuff about gay people to survive at school, even though that's making him
1: sick, because that's who he is. And mm-hmm. he grows so much through the story. So his backstory is that him and his family, I think they moved to the small town. So he's relatively new, maybe like a year or so into the small town. Mm-hmm. There's no actual timeline, but like, he's not somebody who's like grown up in a town. He's somebody who came... In high school so yeah he's very much he's already kind of out. fish out of watery mm-hmm. and he's in that period in his life where he how should i say this? social connections are really important and kind of define yeah your life in a sense he's a teen it's like when he's almost outed he has this moment of oh my god my life's gonna end mm-hmm. like i'm gonna get bullied i'm gonna get harassed all and these you horrible feel things that. Are
0: you the way that, like, the paneling is done and mm-hmm. his expressions and stuff, you're, like, you can you, feel, you can you feel can, his
1: misery, yeah. <laughs> you can feel his, like, anxiety over everything. Yeah. And there's very much this sense of, like, him trying to, like, stop himself from having a complete breakdown where he says, I need to hold on. Time will eventually fade and this will be over and then it'll go back to normal. Yeah, it just feels like he's fighting for survival, really. Mm. Yeah.
0: But then he ends up at the drop-in center. He meets Mm -hmm. someone, San, who I'm going to save to the end to talk about because she's kind of a, if not the most pivotal character in the story, (laughs) one of the most important. But she kind of saves Mm -hmm. him and listens to him talk, but her thing is always that she just listens. She doesn't really comment on anything. And Mm. then he ends up at the drop-in center where she's kind of the resident and everybody else is there and they just kind of let him exist in that space and the first time we really see i guess his connection with someone he's helping them renovate an old house and mm-hmm. there's haruko who is sort of like <laughs> she's i really like her because she's kind of a mentor mm-hmm. figure to the younger people at the drop-in center yeah. um so the first time we see him really connecting with one of them This lady kind of comes up and she's worrying over her and they're talking about like, oh, take the laundry out. Just normal stuff. Right. And then he asks, hey, was that your sister? And she's like, no, that's my wife. Just very casually. And it like rocks his world, like opens his eyes that just seeing queer love, seeing a future for himself. It's very Mm -hmm. beautiful. And I really like how she kind of teaches him things
1: throughout, but also has her own struggles. Yeah, very much. Mm hmm. I think it's like his first introduction to seeing people who are queer in his life where it's in a normal setting and they're older than him. So he kind of like sees that future, whereas before he was very much isolated within himself. Mm -hmm. It's his chance to
0: start conceptualizing what a future could look like, right? And like what he wants in life. Yeah. And we see Haruko's backstory in volume one and kind Mm of her struggles coming out to her parents and going to work where she's greeted with sexism it's very specifically like lesbian struggles right like it's not Mm. it's not the same kind of violence that Tasika experiences but it's like casually like when are you gonna get a husband oh it would be such a shame Mm -hmm. oh I feel bad for the parents of these two girls who got together
1: kind of thing Especially the most pivotal moment when um, she's with her parents and she sees, like, on the TV oh God, this uh, yeah. wedding of a gay couple, these two women, and she makes, like, a comment about it and then the dad's like, yeah, but I feel bad for their parents. And then there's and the full-page like, shred- that
0: spread. that's like, a two-page spread of her, like, mm-hmm. on her knees with the faceless bride and it's all gray and just you mm-hmm. can feel how broken she is. Oh, that's, it's, yeah. And then I really, like, after that, again, it's someone San who kind of like connects them all, but she's, she's trying to renovate a house and she just starts, someone hand just starts like going at it, ripping down a wall. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? And she's like, well, you got to start somewhere. Why not knock the wall down right now? And then she's like, I'm going to knock down the wall. And it's,
1: It's very interesting because with both Tasuku and Haruko and the symbolism of like the wall, the idea of breaking down their own barriers that they've placed and how they want to live their life, as well as like Mm -hmm. the social barriers that have been placed before them. Yeah. Like it represents that. Yeah, because Tasuku
0: has a moment where he breaks down a wall too, but he starts one nail at a time Mm -hmm. because he's
1: still just little. I'm just figuring it out. Also the fact that when he looks through that hole that he's created, he sees the guy he has a crush on.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of unclear whether he's actually there. He's just thinking about it. And then Mm -hmm. that's the first time he really comes out to someone who responds to him. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful moment.
1: Haruko's like, yeah, cool. (laughs) The very first volume with Tasuko is very much about him just finding a place where he's finally allowed to, or he's not allowed, more like comfortable Mm-hmm. to talk about his anxieties that is tied to like who he is.
0: Yeah. And just exist without mm-hmm. fear of constant fear of like being outed or someone figuring him out or something. Yeah. So Haruko's wife Saki, they want to have a real marriage someday. Saki's a lot more like um, hesitant to come out a lot. Yeah, she hasn't or... talked
1: to her about, to her parents about coming out. Mhm. So, there's kind of conflict, tension between her and Haruko, where Haruko is out and within the community, whereas Saki isn't. Um, Yeah. Their story arc more so gets wrapped up in, like, the last volume. Where they get married. Basically, they decide to have a wedding. And they're holding it in this empty building that Tasuko is, like, in charge of deciding what it's going to become. And he decides it's going to be, like, a wedding hall for them, for their marriage. And before that happens, this guy who's part of the city council outs uh, Saki to her parents. Yeah. And And it's really sad to watch and look at. that's where you have like the conversation of how these things are very personal and you can't just casually out people yeah but it works out in the end it does it's
0: like yeah it's interesting everybody is very human in this it's not just like you know (laughs) bad evil homophobes and like good perfect uh lgbt people it's like the parents that reject even or don't accept the kids but then eventually come around or like they don't understand Mm -hmm. but they do their best and things like that her dad is a lot less accepting her mom is just kind of like yeah
1: i knew (laughs) like wasaki's parents the dad i think had a very realistic reaction in regards to the way just how society is where he immediately gets angry that somebody suggests that his daughter is gay And then he realizes it's about appearances, right? Yeah, he has, like, a moment where he's like, I'm just upset about this because of social appearances. And he has this moment of reflection of his relationship with his daughter and he kind of decides he's going to support her rather than reject her. Yeah. And then the mom is like, good, because I would have
0: killed you if not. (laughs) It's great. Yeah. And then
1: it's interesting because you have Saki's parents and you have Haruko's where... We never really see them. We get the sense that they're very much estranged from her after she came out to them. Mm -hmm. And it's only around the wedding that she kind of, like, starts talking to them, kind of inviting them back into her life.
0: Yeah, she said that over time they
1: started phone calls and stuff again, but it it took Mm -hmm. time. And she, like, invited them to the wedding. I don't think we ever actually meet them as readers. No, I don't think so. Yeah.
0: Also, in terms of Saki being more private and them having disagreements mm-hmm. about it I think it's great to see you know a queer couple fighting because everybody fights and it it's just th- there's also this thing I think that it, like I've heard about I mean I'm not specifically gay or lesbian but just or bisexual any of that but <laughs> um I'm on Yuki Kamatani's side but um <laughs> just the idea that when you're out in society you're kind of the model example of what mm. people are gonna see as a queer couple and no couple is perfect every couple is gonna have issues but it feels like a huge weight on people right that if we that don't appear perfect is. then everybody's gonna think that that's what gay people are like so it's great to see them fight and then they have a moment where they're like eating a popsicle and they're like yeah we always come here after we fight <laughs> it's how we make up which is so good
1: mm.
0: yeah I love them should we get into our volume two volume focused two, character, Shuji Misora? First of all, how do you want to pronoun this child? I'm
1: going to go by the books, yeah, how I they thinking. do it. Because the character is very much questioning yeah. identity, but at this point in time, Misora still identifies as a boy. Mm-hmm. And uses he him pronouns as far as I'm aware. Yeah. So we will be using those pronouns when talking about the character.
0: Yeah. Um, because kind of the point of his character is that he could be anything. He's in I think the sixth grade. He's the youngest I character so, yeah. we really focus on. Yeah, and just, so there's a lot of characters in different life stages in this, mm-hmm. and he's kind of a. So Misora young, is.
1: A young boy who goes to the drop-in center and basically dresses up and, like, dresses and makeup and has a whole bunch of wigs that he wears, so he really likes, like, a feminine appearance. Mm -hmm. He doesn't necessarily identify as a girl, but he's very much still figuring who he is and who he wants to be and hasn't really attached a label yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like his character arc, as well as um, Tasako's, is very much just accepting that this is a point where it's okay to just figure things out and just to be who you are without necessarily attaching a label to it. I think it's, I mean, the way I kind
0: of interpreted mm-hmm. it, it was more like this was the step before where Tasuku was, because it was... Kind of like Tasuku really wanted to be a mentor to Misora, right? hmm Like, back when I was questioning, I really wanted somebody to help me along. And now I think I'm at a point where I can help him. And so I'm going to do everything I can to mentor him and everything. And he
1: kind of oversteps. hmm Because he tries to, like, apply labels to Misora when Misora isn't comfortable with those labels. Yeah, or isn't ready isn't ready, and truthfully could never be ready to fully attach themselves to a set label. Well, uh,
0: who knows? The point is that yeah. it's, its he's a little kid, so he doesn't know yet. <laughs> and he's also, we should say, not a very nice kid. <laughs> <laughs> he's super mean and bristly and like uses slurs against Tasuku awesome. and stuff, and is like really vulgar, and just kind of hard to like, which is cool, because like, of course, a kid who's struggling that much is not always going to be the most likable
1: kid, and it's, it's again, it's just like, really human. It is. He's not a likable character. He also has his own issues that he himself is figuring out. Yeah. And that's totally okay, because he's 10, 11? Mm-hmm. And, in- I mean, we yeah. still like
0: him, even though he's, like, he's not a likable character, but he's still beloved by the narrative we like him in the end i think mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> i think with his character it doesn't really matter if the reader likes him or not because he does some things that he should apologize for and he yeah. literally says i'm not gonna apologize but i and like I- him because
0: he's 10 and he's a little
1: <laughs> shit and that's fine <laughs> i mean as adults i don't really hold much against children no they're figuring themselves out it's, it's okay for them it out
0: to be a little um so there's a point where there's some fireworks going on, and Tatsuki wants festival. to take Misora mm-hmm. out dressed up like he likes to dress up, you know, in, like, the yukata and the wig and everything. Mm-hmm. And they and have a really good time, and he, like, takes a picture of, I'll say her while she's in the clothes, because that's how she identifies while in the clothes, and just like has a really good picture of her like smiling and really genuinely happy.
1: I'm not entirely sure I would necessarily use her pronouns when Misora is dressed up as a girl. No. Which is because I do, don't. I thought they do
0: that in the book. Do
1: they not? Let me look. Because my understanding of Misora is that he doesn't necessarily identify dressing up as a girl as identifying as a girl himself. You're probably right. So like that's another thing of him is that yeah he. Could later in life identify as a girl, or it could just be he's a guy who likes to dress in girls' clothes?
0: Yeah, you're right. I don't know. Nobody knows. That's part of the thing that is really confused about later. He's yelling at Haruko, like, explain it to me. What did I do? What does this kid want? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know anything. And then he's kind of shocked, like, oh no, this mentor who's supposed to explain everything about queer society to me doesn't know either.
1: Because, mm, like, cool. there are characters that, when Misora is dressed as a girl, view her as a girl. But, like, they refer to Misora with she, her pronouns. But it's more so because they view her as a girl and don't know. Mm, okay. Rather than Misora himself using those pronouns. Yeah. Okay. Like, he doesn't... We'll switch it back. S- yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Misora's kind of a difficult character to talk about just because <laughs> he's still figuring himself out. So it's hard to, like... Yeah. Said pronouns because he hasn't chosen specific pronouns, yeah. So, yeah, we'll go with he,
0: him, still. That yeah. was my, <laughs> my personal mistake. Um, but yeah, inappropriately touched in the crowd, and then mm-hmm. and then
1: starts. Him, panicking. It's very much a first because yeah. it's his first time going out in public, dress as a girl, and therefore being viewed as a girl,
0: yeah. And, and also, as a it's,
1: guy, he does not necessarily experience public groping.
0: And it sucks. I mean, man. it's totally
1: possible that. It sucks that a stranger's guys, l- looking at yeah. you sexually. <laughs> it's the worst. Especially when you're only like 10, 11. Uh-huh. Like, it's the yeah. worst in general, but I feel like when you're in your like 20s, you've had that hard go around of just realizing people were going to view you as a sexual subject in public. Uh-huh. Whereas as a child, you're
0: yeah, experiencing that happened. for the first time.
1: And then Tasuku's like,
0: man, yeah, that sucks, but it's because you're so cute, and that is the wrong thing to say. (laughs) Oh, it is. And then Misora... They get into
1: a huge fight. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Misora starts to use slurs, and kind of outs him in front of some of his classmates. Including his crush, Subaki. Including his crush, yeah. Um, And after that incident, he never shows up at the um, drop-in center. Yeah. To, like, the last volume.
0: And in the last volume, it's kind of nice. Okay, I need you to explain the fish to me. <laughs> There's some sort of metaphor going on about goldfish, where he takes care of the goldfish at the drop-in center, and also mm-hmm. Subaki likes goldfish, and then they, like, do goldfish sc- uh, scooping There's at like the fireworks. There's, like, a goldfish
1: motif going on in general. I'm not entirely sure... I feel like I need to know more about goldfish symbolism. There is probably an essay somewhere that somebody has written talking about the goldfish symbolism in book two. Um, uh, it's my all general, through the series. Mm-hmm. My general interpretation is how you have like the fishbowl is kind of like the box that society places and how we define ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then the concept of water is us trying to survive within that confinement.
0: Because there's yeah. another
1: like really good picture where it's like a glass of water and then there's Misora's character trying to keep his head above the water. Yeah. Within this glass. There's a lot of stuff
0: like that. Yeah, I could see it so for sure being that. That's
1: kind of how I interpret it. There's probably like some other symbolism going on there. Well, and then the
0: two characters we see the fish symbolism with the most are Misora and Subaki, right? And those are the two that are mm-hmm. kind of both questioning in the They're story so I guess that makes sense because like, we see them staring at fishbowls a lot so that mm-hmm. that, yeah that feels right to me I think you're very smart <laughs> thanks <laughs>
1: yeah yeah fish
0: anyway I'm glad yeah, so the fish survived
1: Misora's um, character terribly. arc gets wrapped up at the end where Tasuku realizes that he was in the wrong for kind of forcing labels onto him and yeah. apologizes we sort ends up returning to cat clutter even though he refuses to apologize for saying slurs on him but yeah but
0: he's a little shit and <laughs> it's fine and then he cleans the fish bowl that's been really dirty because mm-hmm. it's, it's fish again
1: okay <laughs> <laughs> um we want to talk about itsumi the Volume 3 guy. Volume 3 I guy. I really like him. He is I really like character. him. It's so hard to see him go through so many microaggressions. Oh, it is. Ugh. So, volume 3 is really where a lot of the Transophobia comes
0: into play. Utsumi is the other kind of, him and Haruko are like the two heads of cat clutter. They both kind of take care of all the project management
1: and stuff. Mm-hmm. So to me is a trans man. Yes. Um. In volume three, he ends up meeting an old classmate of his from high school. They were on the same volleyball team. She is. <laughs> I don't like her. She's not a hor- like she's not a horrible person. I personally don't like her. She's an
0: extremely <laughs> realistic example of someone who is like aggressively an a- ally to the point of. Actually, being. Hugely she wants to be an ally <laughs> and accepting,
1: but is very much self centered in her allyship.
0: Oh, yeah, and she doesn't realize her own biases at all. Like, I really oh, like the yeah. part where she has a younger daughter, and I really like the mm-hmm. part where they're doing tiles for the the triangle house and the daughter's like (laughs) making a boat and she's like oh that's not good make something cute like a flower and as she walks away Utsumi comes up kind of like I like boats too you can
1: make a boat (laughs) just like the gendered expectations right yeah she's she's very much I'm accepting but also still pushes like the heteronormative she says like oh transgender that's or like Wanting
0: to be a boy is just, like, a mental illness or something like that, right? Which, it's like... Not a preference, like, homosexuals. So, <laughs> like, my
1: understanding... Up. My understanding of how transgender is viewed in Japan is that it's viewed as, like, a mental illness. Rather than, like, true. an identity. Yeah. Um So that could be hyper-specific to Japanese
0: stuff, too. Yeah. But, I mean, there's definitely people in the west who also view it that way Mm -hmm. like yeah yeah Utsumi is always putting on a happy face kind of Mm -hmm. ignoring her going with it until he kind of breaks at the end but still in kind of a kind way and Haruko the whole time is just so mad at her it's really funny
1: (laughs) I love that scene where the classmate says something really offensive and Haruko I think it's when she says something about how like transgender is like a mental illness or something, Karako like punches the wall yeah. and it leaves like a print because yeah. they're using the plaster, and then Saki takes a picture of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. I mean, yeah, it's, um... it's
0: very frustrating.
1: She's right. Yeah, so this one is basically it's me facing microaggressions and transphobia from former classmate. He gets invited to a girls' night uh, with some of the other volleyball um, members where they ask kind of invasive questions. But um, then instead of allowing him to speak
0: up for himself or kind of chart his own navigation through that, Oyama's like, stop, that's wrong. You can't do And it's just kind of like, I mean, she says it in the way that she understands things, not in the mm-hmm. way that is his truth. And she just kind of talks over
1: him. She's yeah, she's very self-centered. Um, and to so me, finally calls her out for it and says, "You're not being a good person. You're just pitying me, and yeah. I don't want to be pitied." It's not even specifically about him.
0: He's like, "Don't do this to us. Don't pity mm-hmm. people like me. Stop hurting us. This is
1: painful." Because he's very much like, "You're not being a good person. You're just like using this so you can feel better about yourself, rather mm. than." actually caring about me or like queer people in general
0: in the moment where he's biking and he yells the f word really loud and it's like oh this is definitely
1: <laughs> really bothering him he's just a really good mild-mannered person <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> another thing too with like volume three is with tasako is he's kind of debating is it better to be quiet about these things than to speak out yeah and i feel like it ties into its me's Character as well because he's very much quiet in the way that he's being placed in these positions and it stops when he speaks out and calls out the classmate mm-hmm. that she corrects her behavior mainly by giving him space and not entering his boundaries. I'm also, yeah, and then she does. I, she never she like she drops off her kid,
0: but she kind of leaves them alone, which I think is the best mm-hmm. thing she could have done in that scenario. I also think she dead names him too doesn't she yeah she does
1: the first interaction when she when they cross yeah again well and also dead dead when she meets him.
0: someone, Sand, she's like oh so i shouldn't ask your real name <laughs> like
1: just just
0: all sorts of microaggressions oh good yeah.
1: lord with her
0: i really like haruko's kind of explanation to tasuku is like yeah it's extra difficult like you can fight back when someone's mean but when they've got good
1: intentions it's harder to deal with yeah it's so true it really is like I know a lot of people when talking about they say like intentions don't matter but intentions do matter because the way you approach someone depends on their intentions if somebody has bad intentions it's easy to just cut them out of your life but if somebody has good intentions it's hard because you can see Mm -hmm. them trying to be a good person but they're still hurting you
0: and I get being angry like everybody has the right to be angry about that stuff Mm -hmm. but I don't know, sometimes you also have to help people out on their way in order to kind of bridge the gap there, right? Mm-hmm. That's not anyone's responsibility, but it's a
1: sad fact of what has to happen in order for people to get along. I think it was in Volume 4, was it... One of the characters, I think it was Haruko or Saki, maybe it was someone, I don't know, Um, they said something about how it wasn't their responsibility to like teach people about queer do you remember
0: there was a part where it's like in someone sans backstory where it's actually chico's maybe it is someone chico's partner was like yeah it's really exhausting having to explain yourself to everybody and then she's like yeah it's exhausting oh yeah that's it that's what her job
1: yeah yeah I can explain that I'm ace, but I won't get it, and I'm not obliged to explain anyway. I feel like there's just no need for that kind of emotional labor. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I don't really know where I'll land yet. Yeah. And then Tchaiko responds, When I think about how people never stop demanding explanations about every little aspect of your life, it's truly exhausting to deal with when you're even the tiniest bit different from others. Yes.
0: Yeah. Everybody just makes you explain over and over and over again. Which must be exhausting. It's exhausting Mm -hmm. enough for me and I can blend into society pretty easily even though inside it's not like that. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah there's also a big theme since Tasuku's falling out with Misora that's kind of like basically there's no way to interact with people without hurting people Mm
1: -hmm. and like
0: what's the point? Is it better to just be silent and try
1: not to hurt people than to try your best and maybe hurt people? And then he's put in like situations where at this classroom where they're saying offensive things and he doesn't want to speak up because it'll put him in the spot and start those rumors about him being gay again. And yeah. then he has this other girl ends up telling yeah. him to shut up. I and love he's like, that. Thank you, girl whose name I don't remember. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I actually have a lot to say about that. But we'll save it for later. We can move on <laughs> through the characters still. Um any thoughts about Utsumi or do you want to move on to Tsubaki?
1: I just like him.
0: I wish him the best. He's a good guy. I like him. Do you him. want to talk about Tsubaki?
1: <laughs> um, Tsubaki is a very interesting
0: character. Very, uh, again, nuanced, realistic. Very
1: nuanced,
0: realistic. Starts out being not person. a good ally.
1: Bad um, ally,
0: you might say. And then I don't even really turns it around, end. Kind of.
1: So, Sabaki is the guy that Tasuku has a crush on. They are on the same health committee. I'm trying to remember. There is an inciting incident somewhere where Sabaki kind of spends time with Tasuku outside of school with the cat clutter group. His dad is part of the city council and is the one that outed Saki to her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, he is really nice to the people of cat clutter but kind of says horrible things it's like he's back. observing
0: them in a museum not like he sees them
1: as people Mm-hmm. he's a very interesting character because i think he's incredibly realistic in the sense that he's still bound towards like the heteronormative society yes and his reaction to things that don't fall into that norm is kind of anger and then yes. he later has to kind of confront how he identifies himself and reacts in anger we're because talking about Subaki, now,
0: not his dad yes, yes. Yeah, Sub- yeah yeah
1: Subaki, not the dad his reaction to things that fall outside of the norm is to lash out which i in think is fear very i think realistic like yeah it's in definitely fear of the theory, unknown it's a very realistic thing, I think, for teenagers when they're yeah. confronting something that differs from what they've grown up to expect yeah. from what is considered normal. And he's mean to
0: Tasuku after he has like this oh, kind of mean. talk with someone, saying like everybody in the series gets to, mm-hmm. But instead of kind of taking comfort from it, like they did, he gets mad because she's just kind of like, I don't know, why does it matter? What are you afraid of? What do you think?
1: What are you? <laughs> and he's just like, shut up. I think he very much falls into the trope of maybe the homophobe. If you're homophobic, that means you're actually gay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of does, but I think he's presented in a very much more nuanced way that's realistic. Rather than just, like, a trope.
0: Yeah, and it's not like... I wouldn't call him... He's not really one of the main bullies. He's just kind of going with the flow of trying to fit in,
1: using Mm -hmm. slurs
0: like everybody in the class seems to...
1: It's interesting, too, because there are times where the interaction to him and Tasuku, as readers, we see it through Tasuku's eyes. Yeah. So, the sense of malice may not be actual malice, but more of Tasuku's own fear of being rejected. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good point. There's a moment where he and Sabaki and these two other girls go to see a um, boat launch, Mm -hmm. and he... And the crowd gets pushed into Subaki and it's kind of like oh contact with the guy I have a crush on I'm kind of scared he looks up and he sees him like smile but it's more of like a menacing smile and it's so he feels like fear of like oh my god he knows and it's yeah he's gonna reject me. Just
0: him being a nice guy
1: so it's very much a is Subaki is smiling menacingly or is that just how Ta sees it because yeah. of his own social fears do you think he I don't know yeah as the story
0: goes on. They kind of grow back together, or at least as friends. And then mm-hmm. he keeps kind of doing little things that Tasuku's like, are you flirting with me or not? Like, he can't tell. Do you think he's doing that on purpose? Or is that just Tasuku's perception? I think it's a mix. It's
1: honestly hard yeah. to tell. See, this is one of the It's ones... hard to tell, yeah. <laughs> this is one of those ones where I feel like Subaki's character arc was cut short. Oh, maybe. Because what I said about the publication. That's yeah. why I said kind of... Because... I feel like he has a lot of potential into how he identifies in his own character arc. And like we kind of get a resolution, but it's not a full resolution, so it's hard to say about what exactly he feels towards Tasuko.
0: I kind of like that though, cuz I don't mm-hmm. think he knows either, and that's also a Like very it's not a bad ending, thing. <laughs> but like
1: you can see the potential is there for like this is ha- yeah. like this is one of the ways the story could have gone on. Yeah, so there was two main things I wanted to talk about. Um, one was when Tasuku finally calls to out for the. Yeah, that's what I was just him. about to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so it's such a good
0: sequence with the art.
1: Oh. The whole idea about Tabaki is like I don't understand you. You're like it's such an alien concept to me, and then it shows
0: Tasuku literally getting abducted, and he's speaking from a spaceship.
1: Mm -hmm. While they have the
0: conversation. And then eventually he like rips the door off the spaceship and kind of pulls
1: Tsubaki in and is like, no, listen. Don't look down on me and everyone else. And then he like confesses, yeah, I think I am gay. And yeah, I do like you. But like. That's not the point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's just ugh, the the development for Tasuku. It's like every time he comes out, he's a little bit stronger. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And also, like, all the pictures floating by, and then, like, a regular the ship. like boat ship appears underneath. And then, like, the idea about how we're, like, we're all on the same ship of life. And then it turns into the, there's a display for the school that's, like, my Shimanami, which, this takes place mm-hmm. in Shimanami, which is an island in Japan, I think. And it's just, it's that's, it's like the town is very much a character. And mm-hmm. they're doing this project about what is the town, and they kind
1: of organize it into the, the shape, Into the of, the shape, shape of, a ship. of a ship and then i'm trying to find the ending thing um you can't know where two people stand with each other without the test of time and that work does nothing but crush gentle hearts given that we're all alive and riding the same ship sometimes we have to break the silence even if we can't truly understand each other being able to make our way through life together is still a worthwhile thing
0: i literally <laughs> had in my notes that i wanted you to read that because it was Al's story time. <laughs> It's so good. But yeah, just using ships as a metaphor for... Even later on, it Mm kind of continues throughout the story. Ships are kind of like metaphors for your community or your connections to other people. And when we're together, we're trying to understand each other because we're all on the same ship and you can be Mm -hmm. together in different ways with different groups of people. Yeah. And isolated in that way. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I could say here while we're talking about ships. um, There's a part... Back in volume two, with mm-hmm. when we're still talking about Misora, where um, Haruko gives Tasuku like kind of an explanation about how everything's a spectrum and there's no one who's 100% the same orientation of, mm-hmm. as you, even if you're close. And it's kind of just talking about how being queer is an isolating experience, but also being human is an isolating experience, and nobody is exactly the same. There are things that unite us and like different groups we are a part of but everybody's also kind of on their own so what you're just trying to do is understand people as best you can but nobody can truly understand one person but it's still important to have this community
1: and Mm -hmm. connect to others which very much ties into not just the queer community itself but also like the city and like this town which is a small seaside town that has a lot of empty buildings due to like the population decrease and everything
0: yep Isolated in many ways, but also
1: together. And how together the story in, in general is very much just simply about human connection.
0: Yeah, it's really nice. Okay, talk about Tsubaki's dad now.
1: <laughs> okay, so Tsubaki's dad, as we mentioned, is a city council person who outed Saki to his dad. Um, he's one of those people who's like, I support queer people, but I don't think they should be talking about it.
0: <laughs> when he's like, oh, well, it's a good thing the drop-in sender didn't turn into a pickup spot, and Haruko, like, shoves a cat in his face, like, hey, we're not horny zombies, <laughs> we're just people. <laughs>
1: that was uh, great. It's just, he's a very realistic character, where he's not somebody who's rallying against the people to, like, shut it down, or, like, accusing him of such things, but he's not... He doesn't understand and he doesn't make the effort to understand. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is seen, too, when he casually outs uh, Saki to her dad and then comes to the cat clatter place and his reaction to seeing his son there, where he immediately turns from, I support you guys, to who led Mm -hmm. you to this? Like, who dragged Mm -hmm. you into this who like turns just you gay? the way he turns suddenly violent at the mere thought that his son might not be straight. Yeah. And how That's scary Tasuku, who that was like his biggest fear at the beginning of the series, confronts him.
0: Yeah, and again he uses coming out in an even stronger way and it's kind of his power now like he uses it to defend someone else which is Mm -hmm. just how much he's grown since the beginning and also when he does that there's more fish but they're not in a bowl this time (laughs) so that also follows what you thought the fish were because now the whole society is the bowl al (laughs) look what you figured out yeah okay anything else about
1: subaki he's
0: just a complicated dude i can't bring myself to hate him I can't bring myself to hate, really, anyone in this series. They're all just
1: people you'd meet in real life. He's, a, he's someone who, once he's called out for hurting others, he takes a moment to reflect and actually works to better himself. Yeah. Oh, I was, yeah. At the very end when there's
0: homophobic graffiti on the Triangle mm-hmm. House before the wedding, and he's kind of cleaning it up and reflecting, like, I could have done this if I'd gone down a different path. It's just kind of, again, the connections between people and humanizing things you don't understand Mm -hmm. until everybody can accept each other. It's a lovely transformation. You'll love
1: to see it. So the other member of the cat clutter group is Tachiko. Oh, I call him chai it's probably how
0: it's pronounced. <laughs> I don't know. We'll just say whatever. Who knows? We're not. We're, we're sadly think... terrible at pronouncing Japanese words. I'm sorry to say. Chaiko
1: uh. is probably the correct pronunciation because there's no ta. I don't know. It's one of those names. Well, like, I guess I'm just anyway, like, way better at foreign languages than you are. <laughs> so Chaiko is an older gentleman who loves playing classical music on his gramophone. Um, Big grandpa energy. <laughs> just a very calm dude really great we don't learn much about him until the last volume which is really his volume yeah where we find out that he's gay and his partner is currently hospitalized with cancer um they've been together for 30 years they had met in college And so they met in college, and then Seichiro ended up getting married and had a son, and then he eventually came out, and he and his wife got divorced. And he lost custody of his son. And he lost custody of his son, just because of Japan custody laws, I guess.
0: Well, that's what is really interesting about Chaiko's kind of arc. Everything shows sort of a different stage, Mm -hmm. of queer love right so you've got like the younger one who's still figuring himself out and then like the one who's figured it out but is terrified and then you have like the ones who are getting married and then chico's at the part now where it's like the later stage struggle where you've had a good life but there's still like you can't visit your loved one in the hospital unless you're married and you can't get married or like if you get divorced instantly the custody goes to the one who is not gay you know like, like how it's still issues, a struggle, the but the love need, like... still makes it worth it for them. Because yeah, they're so, so happy and they're so cute together. Chai-Ko's oh, it's thing so
1: sweet. is that he visits his partner in the hospital. Seichiro's son has started connecting with him again, yeah. but Chaiko has never met his son and kind of doesn't want to meet him just because he's not sure how that relationship would kind of work out and doesn't really want to get in the way of Seichiro and his son's relationship mm-hmm so as he kind of tells this to the people of cat clutter tasuku has kind of like this realization that chaiko might not be able to be at seichiro's bedside when he passes oh no sabaki you... says that doesn't he i think Tsubaki says it but like tasuku is mm-hmm. the one that kind of like yeah sure yeah
0: i believe your photographic memory of everything you've ever read
1: <laughs> might be to back he realize it but i think it's because i think i say metastiku because we're seeing it more so through his eyes and his yeah. um right. reaction to it that it stands out where he's kind of like oh this is horrible that he won't be able to be at his bedside without the family permission yeah yeah so at the end during the um wedding for Haruko and saki cheko gets a message from Satro's son saying that Satro is coming to the end of his life and Chaiko is kind of hesitating on whether or not he should go and then I think it's some yeah it's someone who pushes him to work, to going to yeah. the hospital and he's there in those last moments and is kind of able really Or no, he brutal. finds out this I think Satro has like talked about him to his son
0: yeah and then in the end, we find out they kind of have, not like a close relationship, but you know, they'll talk about like, hey, my dad wanted you to have this, or mm-hmm. or yeah, when he walks into the room, the son is like, hey, your favorite person's
1: here, or something like that, which yeah. is really sweet. Yeah. I just really love that sequence, too, where he gets standing at the bedside, and then like Satra gets up, and they kind of like do this dance, and they're mm-hmm. just talking about like how they've had such a fun life together. It's just really nice to see this old couple just having a good life and having it end in a happy note where they're nearing the end of their natural lifespan rather than it being suddenly taken away from them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's very sweet.
1: Should we talk about the great connector? Someone's hand.
0: that ties all the story together, (laughs) yeah. Uh, So someone's someone's hand is there in chapter one, rescuing Tasuku... So
1: San is an enigma, so. would that be the right word? Oh yeah. An enigma of a character.
0: Very. I still don't quite, I feel like I understand her a little better, but still don't quite get it completely. Yeah, so her thing is-, is kind of inviting people out to saying, you can tell me anything. I won't listen though. And so everybody kind of spills their guts to her and she just kind of like.
1: Whatever. <laughs> goes back home. And it's really interesting because she does this for almost like the entire series, except for yeah. when it comes to uh, Chaiko. Yeah. Where she actually so takes. so that's an active also goal. after
0: kind of Tasuku. So we should back up a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> Yeah, so we kind of find out via Chaiko that they met at a coffee-making thing, which is cool because she's just started making cafe au lait for everyone. Everybody's like, what's happening? Why is she making us stuff? (laughs) And it's actually Tsubaki who's like, what's weird about this? Like, she's a person. She's a human being. She's making us coffee. It's not weird. But she's always so reclusive that everybody kind of is shocked by it. Um, Mm -hmm. So they met there, and she kind of – they end up going for dinner, and she talks to them and have, like, a real heart-to-heart where – They're basically just like, well, yeah, maybe you, she talks about how she's asexual and probably aromantic and -hmm. And she just doesn't connect to people and doesn't understand anything. Symbolism comes in again. Yeah,
1: yeah. Where she's like, say the world is a big boat, women, men, wives, husbands, families, bosses, rivals, everyone has the idea of belonging to something as a foundation. People with all kinds of values get on those boats together, but I can't board any of them. I'm sure I'll never be able to. So it kind of connects to how she herself feels isolated from society. Yes. And she doesn't really know how she views herself. Yeah. And then Satro makes the suggestion that maybe you just want to be no one, just someone from who knows where. They push her towards just having no labels affecting Mm -hmm. no
0: person. And you can see she kind of lights up at that. Like, maybe I just, yeah, I won't have any relationships with anybody and maybe I can be happy like that. But it's interesting through the series because she really affects the people around her. Like, people really mm-hmm. trust her and, like, respect her and her opinions and stuff. Even
1: though she doesn't... She tries her best not to interact with them, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting, too, because then you later have um, in, uh conversation with her. Uh, which I'm trying to pull up. That was Where so good, it? yeah. He's like, if the actual reason there's nothing to hang on to is because you don't want anything... And that's because you're asexual, when I think about it like that, then it sort of makes sense. It feels like your silhouette gets a little more solid for me. And then she says, you're wrong. Being asexual isn't what makes me someone's sand. That's one faucet I'm a composite to think about it. And then he's kind of like... And then she says, how about I tell you about
0: me? You don't have to listen, though. Which is my favorite. It's just like a reverse of what she's been mm-hmm. telling them the whole time, which is she's been listening to their stories, and now she kind of wants to tell her story. But she does it in a very dodgy
1: way that doesn't satisfy him. <laughs> and it's just it's so interesting because he kind of realizes that by putting no label on her, he himself is labeling her to an extent. and she's kind of like you can't limit who i am simply by words i am like a whole bunch of multiple things but also at the same time he doesn't
0: let her have that he's like no (laughs) i want to know the real you and that kind of speaks through to her and then that's the point where the next day when chaiko kind of says like i don't know if i should go to him she's like do it go to him which is cool because it's like she got that push to finally connect with someone and it's the mm-hmm. people that she's known the longest and the people that kind of pushed mm-hmm. her this way in the first place and that she loves and like you can't you can't go through life not touching other lives it's not possible so you mm-hmm. just got to kind of do your best with
1: you know see i find her character very much ties into what kamatani was trying to achieve with um, yoite from the No*. noel interesting yeah where I think it's kind of like the similar con. Oh, that's true. Like it's the same. Message. Wanting to be no one or just someone, like a nameless voice, not being attached to like a specific thing, but even in trying to accomplish that, you're still touching the lives of others and are defined by the people in your life.
0: That's so true. It's very yoite. <gasps> Good job, Kombatan. You did it again. <laughs> Why do you think someone's saying? flies so much you see her walking on clouds a lot mm-hmm. and it's like a visual metaphor but it's also I thought it was literal in the beginning I was confused
1: <laughs> I think it just ties into how we as the reader are supposed to view someone's San, yeah. where the sense who she is as a person is hard to tie down you can't really mm-hmm. put a set finger of like she is this, this, and this, and that is what defines her. She's free to roam.
0: Mm-hmm. Like a feral cat. <laughs> and we've been saying she this whole time. I think she specifies at some point, like, I don't care if you see me as a man or a woman or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people interpret her as being kind of gender fluid too or not yeah. really
1: binary. Yeah. Because I think too similar to me, so she never sets the pronouns that she specifically uses. Yeah. Um. She, her pronouns are simply what the people around her use to define herself.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And, and she just gets kind of
0: humanized right at the end there. And it's really nice, the connections hmm. between people. All right, we should wrap up our characters with where our boy
1: Tosaku's at at the end of the story. <laughs> so... so yeah. It's interesting to see how at the beginning Tosco is this very like fearful kid who just doesn't really have much of a support group behind him. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of it you see him being more confident in who he is as a person because he has that space where he's allowed to be himself and that he has the people around him who not just like accept him but also support him and have helped build that space. And just like he knows they won't question him.
0: They can just exist in the same space and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I think triangle house is very much a metaphor for Tasuku as a person. Um, mm-hmm. They give it to him and they're like, this is your house to figure out what to do with. And he just kind of struggles with
1: that. Like, what is the house going to be? What is the house going to be? Like, what am I? And where he has, can I go like, from here? In the first book where he feels like a lot of pressure. And even in the third book, when you have um, his classmate there, where she's kind of pressuring him on, like, what yeah. the house should be. And they're kind of like, no, you have to give him the space and just let him yeah, figure it right out Yeah, it's steps himself. in,
0: like, hey, this is actually his thing to decide, so back off, lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at the end, he kind of, as we've said before, like, as he comes out, he gets stronger and stronger. And by the mm-hmm. end, he's kind of to the point in his own journey where he's ready to support other people, right? And he just kind of donates the house to his friends who started kind of kicked off his journey to his own acceptance and it's like mm-hmm. community and queer community and full circle beauty and how very good. he
1: in being in conflict with other people like um, it's classmate and Tsubaki realizes how he has hurt others specifically mm-hmm. Misora,
0: and how sometimes that happens yep. yeah and then I really love that the series ends with a few pages of kind of him and some friends talking and it's just kind of about him thinking about his future which is a perfect bookend to the beginning where he thought he had no future
1: Mm-hmm. i'm just looking at like the where the last line that it ends on is the future's transparent i don't know the first thing about it but i just keep on taking desperate breaths so that i don't drown in the transparent air it's just it's like the last chef's line kiss. of the bonus the words
0: the visuals the themes chef's kiss so good. So
1: that's kind of all our characters, unless you have something else to say. No, I think that wraps it up for the characters, so I guess we'll talk a bit about the town. People, places, and
0: things. We're on to places. Shimanami. <laughs> um, I did, like, one Google search before we started. I was like, where even is Shimanami? And all I could find about it was that there's. Sh- it's really well known for Shimanami Kaido, which is, like, a giant bridge that kind of connects it to the other islands. And don't that just feel like a metaphor? <laughs> don't that just feel like a metaphor that this isolated little place is most well known for its
1: connections to other places? Yeah, so, like, throughout the series, um, and, like, the little space after the chapter or title pages, there's, like, mm-hmm. um, kind of, like, these almost tourist Yeah, the uh, author really wants you to go it? to Shimonami. <laughs> it's like the Saekoji Park Observatory built 50 years ago, expected to be rebuilt in the new future.
0: My favorite was the rock that makes a
1: sound when you hit it. Like, <laughs> check this out! <laughs> um, Yeah, it's like the Odobichi Hondari shopping street and it's like a little sketch. So, it's very much advertising the small, small um, town. town. I think there was an interview where the author talked about visiting the town and how they got inspiration Oh, I'm Um, sure. For the series by visiting this town. So it's almost like a love letter for this small town. Yeah. It being a small seaside town, again, just ties so well into, like, the themes and motifs that are throughout the series.
0: Because, I mean, you don't have to say this if you're not wanting to, but you were saying when I first started reading it, like, it reminded you a lot of the town we grew up in and just kind of the isolated (laughs) feeling Yeah,
1: because the thing, too, is that it's not, like, a small town in the sense that, like, everybody knows everybody. But Mm -hmm. it's a town. There's a really good quote from this book, which I wish I could remember the name of. (laughs) It's not the best of book. It's one that I read for a queer literature class. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about this character who is trans in a small town. And they describe their town as not a small town in which you know everybody, but a small town in which the possibility of running into somebody you know is about the same as running into somebody you don't. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels right. Where it's like small enough that you can be one of many, but small enough that the chances of seeing a familiar face is common.
0: And if you're isolated in that town, it's very claustrophobic. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you're always kind of being watched. Yeah, and that really resonated with you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see it. The title is kind mm-hmm. of on the book in English and in Japanese. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to kind of Google, like, Shimanami Tasogare, which is Shimanami Twilight, according to Google. And then it's Our Dreams at Dusk. Why dusk? <laughs> just because it's kind of uh. transition space between two places or peacefulness or what do you think?
1: Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember where this was talked about at one point so our dreams at dusk is a good translation of the title but it doesn't fully capture the title itself let me because it on. doesn't mention the town shimanami
0: i speak japanese now we learned that earlier when i told you about chaiko
1: yes i'm very proud of you thank you so it's kind of i wish I don't remember what it was, but it's kind of like the idea of, um, Dusk being this moment stuck in time between morning and day, past and future. Yeah. The idea of them being just at a point in their life where they're facing the future and they have dreams of, like, how they want their future to be, but because of like social things, they can't, it's hard Mm -hmm. to kind of define that. I mean, but, yeah, that fits. It's overall very hopeful. I think there was an interview with Kamatani, if I can find it, where they talked about how originally this series was going to be a lot darker than what it was. Oh. But, because this started in 2015. Yeah. And then they saw kind of like the upheaval of happening with the um the U.S. election in 2016. Ugh. So they Ruined changed... Everything. <laughs> So instead of this going darker, they decided that society kind of needed a more uplifting, hopeful story. So they kind joy. of changed gears and made it more, po- put a more positive spin on it. Yeah, i want to talk a bit about cat clutter and the houses.
0: Yeah, so a big part of Shimanami is that <laughs> it's there's a lot of abandoned houses because it's getting smaller right
1: it just also looks similar to our own hometown because we have a lot of empty abandoned houses that are just kind of sitting there with nothing (laughs) happening um so i really like the idea of cat clutter being this volunteer organization that remodels these homes to kind of attract not just tourism but also just breathe fresh life into it yeah and revitalize the town a bit Well, and then I think, too, if
0: you think about how Triangle House was kind of a metaphor for Tasuku, you could easily expand that to Mm. every house being kind of a person, right? Mm. And it's like this cat clutter is taking all these old, broken, kind of abandoned, isolated things
1: and making them beautiful together as a team Mm -hmm. for the community. Because it's kind of like how the drop-in center was Haruko's Haruko's house. And yeah, that yeah, yeah. she was the one she who revitalized to it drop-in. to making the drop-in center. Yes. Yeah. And just Which kind is of... interesting, because I don't think it's like, when I hear drop-in center, the kind of drop-in center that's what it is in um, our dreams at desk is not, I think, what we would consider a drop-in center. Yeah, I think that's,
0: I would consider it, like, more crisis-focused, right?
1: I don't think it's... So, a drop in center is more along the lines of medical or like a crisis. Yeah. Where you kind of go if your doctor's office is closed but you need medical help. Isn't that a walk in clinic? That is a walk in clinic, but I think a drop in center and a walk in clinic is similar. <laughs> I don't know. But there's I just also want to like a. Um, but it's also like if you're having a mental crisis moment or like a mental health and you just need somebody to yeah. talk to, that's where you go. Whereas yeah. in Our Dreams at Dusk, the drop-in center is almost more like a clubhouse. Place where to Where it's chill. kind of like this open place that you can just go to hang out. Because they're building Which community. Is, really? It's mm. wonderful.
0: I wish I, that was me. <laughs> Sometimes I go to the library to pick up a hold.
1: Yeah, so I think the concept of just them remodeling the houses and it being this open come-and-hang-out kind of center ties in, again, to the themes of building community and the importance of a human connection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and it's mo- really nice. Oh. Um, general queer themes and allyship that we want to talk about that we haven't covered. Um,
0: I wanted to come back to the volleyball girl when they're mm-hmm. all out for noodles and is kind of going off about, like, wow, everybody at Cat Clutter's also a F-slur and blah, blah, blah. And then Tasuku's like panicking, but he can't stand up, right? Because he doesn't want (laughs) to out himself and he's terrified. And then this girl's just kind of like, hey, don't talk about people like that. And there's just like a light shines on her and there's a moment of silence. And it just kind of reminded me about the importance as an ally to use your privileges to kind of stand up to people because you never know who's around you who might need you to do that, right? Like even if it's... Mm -hmm. Because I don't think I don't think Subaki was meaning it to be harmful, right? He was just doing it because he thought he was in the company of, like, other straight people who would find it funny. Mm-hmm. But you never know that the people around
1: you are all straight people. And I think another thing, too, is it ties into the of that idea stuff. of how allyship doesn't have to be, like, this big thing. It can just be yeah. not normalizing homophobic conversation. Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm definitely guilty of that. Like, I get uncomfortable and I kind of laugh it off and I just hope they'll stop talking. But just like...
1: Because the thing is, too, is that he's talking because they're in like a casual setting where they're at a restaurant eating some noodles. So he feels like comfortable. And then by her speaking out, it makes it uncomfortable so that the conversation is like, this is not acceptable for you to be talking about this. Yeah. In this manner. Rather than it just being brushed off and laughed up. Which again ties yeah. into that theme of silence and should you mm-hmm. speak up and things like that. Which I mean is very much a thing in real life too. Oh yeah. And it's uncomfortable. Like I okay. definitely <laughs> need to take my privileges to do actions. It's just hard. Like where conversations start and they suddenly turn and you're like wait hold on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just
0: important. Um, in terms of the queer themes themselves just the fact that the drop-in center is a pl- it's not yeah like you were saying like a crisis center they don't do classes or therapy there's nothing kind of structured mm-hmm. about it it's just a place to go and exist in the same space as other people which is lovely that's one of my favorite things to do is to exist in the same place and just not talk to people
1: and just I really building help. a community casually and not expecting mm-hmm. anything of anyone like the series itself very much focuses on just it's okay to exist and to be, and you don't have yeah. to justify yourself, yeah, for existing of who you are as you are. Yeah.
0: That being said,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's also important when you're when you're struggling with your identity, hearing the stories of other people like you is like a lifeline, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just knowing that there are people who are okay out there who. similar experiences to you which is why when someone sand was revealed to be arrow ace i was like yeah another one for us you know (laughs) and i couldn't really relate as much to someone sans because i am someone who really wants connections (laughs) and like my friends are so important to me and everything and i don't want to fade into the background
1: um but it's still nice to see when i was reading it for the first time and i got to someone sans conversation about her or her just standing on the dock watching the ship set sail oh that, that yeah, part that made, me... made me cry yeah because <laughs> i don't there's like this need of social connection but also this feeling of isolation especially when you live in like a heteronormative not even heteronormative but also like allonormative al, yeah that's the word allonormative world where it's just kind of like expected to be in relationships oh my god yeah al yeah <laughs>
0: We both reacted the same way to that scene. I never cry at stuff, but
1: yeah, it really And the way me. that, like, Dasuku doesn't just fully understand that. Cause no. He He's used... like, I think it's better to get crushes, even if
0: whatever. And it's like, dude, I can't. Like, I would love to. I just don't.
1: <laughs> it's like, I get crushes, but I have no desire to act on them. And that's yeah. just how it is.
0: Well, that's the same, right? You and me, Mm -hmm. similar experiences, but again, not the same. No one's 100%, but I still love talking to you about stuff because you understand (laughs) me a lot more than like Joe Schmo who's been dating his high school sweetheart for 40 years, right? Yeah. I'm glad we're connected together. I think, yeah, no, this is important because... It's important to hear people's stories. Right now on the podcast, maybe one of our four listeners is (laughs) questioning Arrow Ace. I'll tell my story. Okay, so (laughs) I am Arrow Ace. I have tried dating many, many times, desperate for the life that I thought I was always going to have, but every time I'm in a relationship, it makes me want to claw my skin off, and I just don't understand it, and I don't understand when other people get in relationships. I don't understand why this person you just met is more important than Someone like Al, who I've been friends with for 12 years. I would well, I'd much rather talk to Al than talk to someone who is interested in me. It makes me feel like I'm coming out of my body, that somebody would be interested in dating me, kissing me. I don't like to think about it. I really like fictional relationships. I really like mm-hmm. fantasizing about fictional relationships. But in real life, it just doesn't happen for me. And that's actually an experience I've seen a lot of people who are AeroAs have. Mm -hmm. And now I'm happy. I have lots of friends who are wonderful. I talk to them a ton. Al and I, not just recording a podcast, we also talk every Friday night. And Mm -hmm. it's lovely. And I'm figuring out what my life looks like when my whole life I thought I was going to be married with children, you know? Because that's kind of the expectation.
1: Yeah. Very much, like, I relate to, like, growing up and, like, that expectation of, like, getting married and having kids kind of thing. Yeah. And then just having this moment where you realize that, at least for like me, I just had a moment where I realized I'm not really interested in pursuing that path, yeah. and I've never really bothered to do so, and I've always prioritized my friendships with people rather than like seeking out actual relationships, like romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. I don't
0: know. And that's valid as hell, and I love you very much. <laughs> Thanks, friend. I love you, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at us. Building community. Building bridges between the ships. Oh, I love that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> overall thoughts. On that beautiful note. Oh, man. That was... Woo, woo. Okay. Overall thoughts. Very pretty. Love the series. Panels gorgeous. Everything gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Love it.
1: Yeah, definitely one of my favorites. Um, I don't... Hmm. I think for Our Dreams at Dusk, it's one of the first queer narrative stories that I've ever really, really related to. And oh, it's wow. one of my favorites that I'm constantly rereading.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Um, I'm, a, I'm happy I bought the series instead of just taking it up from the library. Because, yeah, definitely going to be rereading that one. Oh, do you um, have a favorite
1: character? Should I guess? Uh, if you have one. I don't think I do really. Like, I think this yeah. is one of those ones where all the characters are just so well written. No save. I was like, trying to one like force specific myself. One to think that of I'm one. cling that I cling on to, you know? Yeah. Like they're all I just mean, like really realistic yeah. and relatable in different degrees in different ways.
0: You feel like you join the drop in center just like Tasuku does. Like you're just there mm-hmm. vibing with everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. It's very good thanks for introducing me to it (laughs) you're welcome yes yep all right okay what's next
1: (laughs) so the next manga we're gonna be discussing is one that i think this is the first time we're gonna read a title that neither of us has really read or watched okay um, so it's one that I read the first two chapters of, and that I forced myself to stop because I was oh. like, I need to experience for the first time with Manny. Like, oh, it just okay. has to happen this way. Exciting. And that is, let me look up the author's name. <laughs> You've read everything. This is so weird. hmm It was one that a whole bunch of people have been, like, hyping up. Um. Naruto. No. It is... <laughs> Basara by Yumi Tamura.
0: Basara? I don't even know if I've heard of that.
1: Hmm.
0: That's exciting. I talked
1: to you about it before. I told you you probably like
0: have. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I told okay. I think I described it to you as nineties uh shoujo oh, of Yona of the Dawn.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, I googled it. See, I listened to you when you talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay that'll be exciting thank you very much anything else to add
1: oh tell talk about our social media oh right um we have a twitter called behold manga we have an instagram that's also behold manga podcast i believe (laughs) yeah follow Follow us if you want to
0: see pictures of the books we read um yeah So this has been Behold Manga. Thanks for listening. Our theme music is Strawberry Flavor Love by Daystar. And as always, stop. Stop. You're You're reading reading in the wrong wrong direction. direction.